Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Let's worship our King today. We love you, mighty God. You are so good. You are so good. We bless your name. We give you ourselves, mighty God. All the praise and honor and glory belongs to you. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What a joy to come in the presence of our great, good King and our Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Hallelujah. You may be seated. God bless you. Hallelujah. Take your Bibles out. Turn to Luke 16. Thank you, Kenya. Beautiful song. God's good. What a joy. I'm glad you got up this morning. I'm glad you made it here this morning. I'm excited. I'm excited about what God is going to do in the house today. I, uh, we're in our parables section. We're learning how to live as, king and as children of light. We're in this kingdom of light. And, and, and this whole, everything he talks about, all the parables are about how we live as kingdom people, how we walk in the light, how we live as Christ followers. And, and there's these incredible teachings that he gave, one right after their stories taken from real life. He'd always have that aha moment, that flip the script moment, and then he'd pull everybody in, this master storyteller, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really believe if we'll look at what he's saying, there's just powerful lessons for us here today in every single one of these parables. Now, the last three parables that we've talked about today and the the previous two, it seems like he's attacking the rich man. I mean, he is pretty hard on the wealthy, and he's, it's almost like he's going after them. And, and uh, Luke chapter 14, he talks about when you come in to the table, to the banqueting table, don't take the best seat, take the lowest seat. And then wait for the master, the, the, the host of the banquet to say, come up here, and he will invite you to come, and you can sit very close to the master. And, and isn't that the way it is with our own lives? When we come in humility, when we humble ourselves, we hear the Lord say, just come up here. Get close to me. You have my heart. You know what it means to serve. Now I just want to be really close to you. And he says, you know, there's a great banquet. And, and he says, uh, all the wealthy, all the well-to-dos, all the ones who could invite them to come back, they made excuses. They didn't show up. They didn't come. He says, he says go invite the, bl- the blind and the lame and the poor and, and invite everybody else. No one else will invite. Let's reach out to the poor and disenfranchised of our community. Powerful, powerful parable. And then he, last week we looked at this parable, the dishonest manager, and how he comes along and he literally sticks it to the rich owner. And uh, he takes advantage of him. He cuts all the bills in half. The, the owner is left holding the bag and holding the mortgage. And so he does all of that because he is preparing for his future. And so a lot of the parables have this idea of get ready. The Lord's coming back. Prepare for your future now. How you live your life now affects all the rest of your eternity. But also at the same time, he is kind of talking to the rich. He's inta- he attacks the un- injustice of the wealthy. Look at verse number 14. Right in the middle of these parables, 
he says, the Pharisees who love money. And so they're in the audience, and he's talking to them, and he says, the Pharisees love money. He confronts hoarding possessions, mistreatment of the poor, their perceived entitlement as Jews. They thought because you're Jews, we automatically have seats at our tables, uh, even missing their Messiah. All these themes kind of come out in these last several parables, and particularly this one we're going to look at this morning. Now, in ministry, I've been in ministry a long time, and I've had the, the, the occasion to do many, many funeral services. And, and there's never an easy funeral. I don't care who it's for, you know, and we celebrate. Most of the ones I do are probably for believers, although there are a number I've done that you just didn't know. Just didn't know. I think one thing what we have, we, when we have, everybody comes and the guests are all there. I always try to include, include the plan of salvation when I'm doing a funeral service. I want to make it very clear because I, I never know who's going to be in the audience. But we come face to face with our own mortality. That, that one day we are going to die. It's going to come. Every one of us will go through the portals of death. That day is going to happen sometime. It's going to come. If there's an eventuality to it, it's going to take place. But we also come face to face with our own immortality. Because literally, as creatures that God has made, we live on forever. Our soul, our spirit man, goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. There's nothing that ever stops that. And so we also come to grips with our own immortality. And so, so much of what we do now is going to affect literally the rest of our entire eternity. And I don't think people realize that. And then we get so caught up in the now that we forget this is just a staging place for forever. And I think it probably comes out no more clear than in this parable we're going to talk about today. A parable of the rich man and the Lazarus. So let's stand together as we look at God's word and, and we'll look at the story and we'll just see what the Lord wants to teach us this morning, what he can show us today from his word. We'll just start with the first three verses and just keep your, your Bibles open there. We'll be referring to this throughout the rest of the message today. There, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. Longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lord, help us this morning. Help us this morning. May we not, as your church, as your people, fall into the rich man's syndrome. May we not ignore those outside the gates that are hurting all around us. Open up our eyes today. Grip our hearts. Stir us this morning. Through your precious Holy Spirit, we love you. We ask your help. Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think this is kind of a simple outline. You don't have a long, drawn outline. This is kind of really two points, two thoughts here that I want to bring out this morning. The first is, how do we live our life now? What's going on with right now? How are we living our life every day? How does that happen? There probably couldn't have been a starker contrast between the way two people live their life than the billionaire and the beggar. You got the rich man and you got Lazarus. You got the billionaire and the beggar. And, and you got the, the Pharisees are the primary target audience here. They're listening, they're in the group. Of course, the disciples are there as well. They're going to learn their lessons. But the Pharisees, and, and here's a belief that the Jews had back in this day they believed that if you were wealthy, that that showed that you were under the favor of God. 
Now, we do know God blesses and God takes care and everything we have comes from the Lord. So I'm not discounting that, but they believed if you were a wealthy man, it was a sign of God's pleasure in your life. It was a sign of God's favor in your life, that that you had kept the commands, you had earned it well, and God was blessing you. But conversely, they also believed if you were poor, it was a sign of God's displeasure that God was not pleased with you uh, and that you were under a curse. And there's probably been a lot of things you've done that are wrong, a lot of sins that are wrong. And so because you are poor, you are that way because in some way you are under the judgment of God. And yet this parable is going to totally reverse the script. Once again, he's going to flip the script when you see exactly where these two wind up. The rich man, the Bible says, is in fine linen, rare purple uh, clothing. Uh, Purple was a color of royalty. Only the very wealthiest could afford purple clothing. And it describes him arrayed in purple. The finest foods. He lives in a gated community. So it's a gated community. No one can come in. No one can get out unless they have their passcode, their key code, whatever it might have been. Complete security behind his stone wall and his gates to protect all of his assets. And the gate is completely closed to outsiders. Nobody, no outsider can get through the gates. I mean, I'm safe, I'm secure, my stuff is safe and secure. All of his needs are met. But here's the problem, because all of our needs is met, he has no need of God. I got food, clothes, drive the best cars, live in a gated community, live with the wealthy. He had no needs in this life, but also that bled over to the fact I have no need of God. I think there's literally millions upon millions in America today who have no need of God. We've got it all now. Got everything I could ever dream or imagine. Notice in verse 24, he would say later, Father Abraham. So we know from this language that he is a religious man and he is familiar with the Jewish teachings. He himself is probably a Jew and he is familiar with all the teachings of the Old Testament. And so he's, he's familiar with all those things and he, because he addresses Abraham as Father Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, my father. But part of his comfort was that he had a very comfortable religion. Now follow me here. Part of his comfort, not only he has comfortable clothes, comfortable food, comfortable house, but he also has on top of that a very comfortable religion. He withdraws into the comfort of his own synagogue and he feels quite spiritual in the whole process that is going on. He has a religion about God, but he has no need of God in his daily life. Now follow me here. He has a religion about God, but he doesn't need God. God doesn't affect his everyday life, his comings, his goings, all that he was doing. God is kind of pushed out. I'm sure he hit the synagogue every Sabbath, but that's about all there was. His religion is not really about God at all. It's about himself. And so his religion serves to fortify his feelings of safety and security. I've got my religion, I've got God, and so therefore I'm safe in my home, I'm safe with my food, I'm safe with my clothes, but I'm also safe with God because after all, I am a religious person. And then you have this picture of Lazarus, and Lazarus is on the complete opposite end of the social ladder. He's at the very bottom rung. He owns nothing, he lives Outside the gate. Everybody say, outside the gate. 
He's not covered with fine linen. The Bible says he's covered with sores. You you see the contrast? The rich man covered in fine linen, purple at that. And Lazarus is covered in sores. He has no lavish foods. He can only hope for some table scraps that would hit the floor, much like the dog would eat. This story is aimed squarely at the Pharisees, who are the rich Jewish leaders of that day and age, and it's, it's aimed at exactly how they lived. And here, here's the problem. The wealthy had every opportunity to do what Jesus had asked them to do, but the Pharisees did not. They could have invited in the poor and the blind and the lame. They could have had them as their dinner guests, but the Pharisees did not. He condemns them because he says, you invite people who are just like you who can invite you back. We hit that two parables ago. You're inviting people who will return the favor and you will keep this very elitist uh, circle of friends around you. They could have used their money for eternal kingdom good. Day after day, they passed the poor right outside the gate, and they missed their kingdom purpose. In other words, he says, I have blessed you for a reason. Not for yourself, not for your own comfort, not for your own security inside the gate. I have blessed you to fulfill kingdom purpose and function. There is nothing wrong with God's blessing. It's the way we use God's blessing. And this is the message to the Pharisees. And I will tell you, this is an ongoing challenge for every single one of us. And here's, here's the dilemma, and it goes back to all the parables, and they're kind of having some kind of theme running through them, but you see it. It's, a, it's the contrast of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God. And it's always a question of which kingdom are we going to live and function and move in? Which is going to be our main driver for the way we live our life? Which kingdom? Okay? You can choose to live by the rules of the kingdom of this world. If you do, you will live for yourself. And you will live for the present. Now follow me here. This is, this is the key to the whole message. If you choose to live by the kingdom world mindset, you will do two things. You will live for yourself and you will live for the present. You will gain, achieve, collect, and grow, and advance in power, and advance in authority. But if you live by the rules of the kingdom of God, it is full of grace and humility and compassion. It is about giving your life away. This kingdom, me-centered, right now, the present. God's kingdom, God-focused, others-focused, and I'm living for my future. It's a, it's a totally opposite, different way of thinking. In the kingdom of God, we use our wealth to lift up the poor and advance his kingdom. It's possible to live in our gated community and our gated church and go in and out day after day, passing the hurting right by the gate. Come, we go, get dressed up, come to church on Sunday morning, drive in, drive out. 
and were passing Lazarus right beside the gate. And we don't even see him. We don't even notice him. He's like a bush over there. He's like a little statue in the corner outside the gate. And he's sitting there with sores and pain and hurt and discomfort. And we go in and out, in and out, in and out. And we're about me. We're about now. We miss opportunities to invite them. We miss opportunities to be generous. We miss opportunities to stand for social justice. The rich man describes much of the middle class in America today. The middle class is consumed with security, building walls, comfort, religion, just enough to soothe our conscience. John writes some, some, some harrowing words in Revelation chapter 3. He's writing to a Laodicean church, and he says, You say, I am rich, I am clothed in fine linen, I have need of nothing. He says, I say unto you, you are poor, and you are miserable, and you are lost. And the, and the trouble is, the comfortable are the hardest to reach. Because they're about the me, and they're about the now, and they don't look at the future, and they don't think about eternity, and they think they've got it all together. And they become sometimes the very hardest to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because unless we humble ourselves and deny ourselves, we can't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they become quite a challenge for us to reach with the gospel. All is going great for the rich man. He has control of everything in his life except the time of death. And it will come to all, rich and poor alike. And so that leads me to my second point. It's simply this, where we spend eternity. Where we spend eternity. Look at, let's pick it up with verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him into Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was, and was buried in hell where there was in torment He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things in the now while Lazarus received bad things in the presence. But now... He is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between you, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor anyone can cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. The only thing these two men have in common is death. Nothing else in common at all. But their outcomes are entirely different, and you see that in their eternal destinations. Lazarus is is taken by the angels, the Bible says, right by Abraham's side. 
Now, Abraham is what? Abraham is the father of faith. He's the father of the faithful. He shows what it means to have a circumcised heart, a follower of God, and around Abraham are gathered all those who are followers of faith and followers of Father Abraham and of God. And so that's the scene there. The rich man goes to hell. It is a place the Bible describes of torment and of suffering. Everything is reversed. In hell, there will be no help. There will be no security. There are no possessions. There is no one to take care of them, not even one drop of water. On earth, the rich man had no need for God. He is the self-sufficient man. God grants him what he wants, to be left alone. In other words, his plea through life is, I don't want to be bothered with Lazarus. I want to be bothered by only myself and my stuff and my things. Uh, And so in hell, there is no Lazarus waiting outside the gates. He is all alone. This world had totally let him down. For the first time, the Bible says he looks up. Now, up until that time, he'd always looked down on everybody else he passed by, looks down at Lazarus, looks down at everybody else who's not at his social level. But now the Bible says he looks up and he sees Lazarus and Abraham in paradise. And he calls out, Abraham, help me. Just one, one drop of water. He never asked for help in his life, and now he's in agony and torment. In hell, there is no hope. Verse 26, it says, there is a great chasm has been fixed. The great chasm has been fixed. You can't go from there to there. There's no purgatory. There's no holding tank. There's no place where you wait and see somebody's going to pray you into heaven. That is false theology. The great chasm has been fixed. There's no second chances. The choices you make, you make now. You can't get from there to there, and they can't come down and get to you. Chasm is fixed. There is no hope whatsoever. He feels compassion. It's amazing that in this time, maybe the first time in a long time, he'd ever felt any compassion. And so somehow he feels compassion for his brothers. He's got five left on the earth. And he feels compassion for his brothers, and, and, but no warnings can be sent because he missed his opportunities while he was on the earth. It was too late. Can't lead your brothers to Christ. It's too late. Your time is gone. He was so confident in his wealth and security on the earth, he missed his chance with Lazarus and even his own family. And Jesus is saying to these Pharisees who are listening, and they're listening to what he has to say, and the Bible says they had great wealth and they even sneered at his teachings in verse 14. He's saying this to the Pharisees, and he's saying to them basically, You missed your chance. You missed your chance. 
He's coming close to the end of his life on the earth. And by the way, next week we're going to start this, this forward motion with Christ to the cross, moving forward. It's all about Christ going to Calvary and how we move with him. And you're going to begin, we're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, don't, next week's the Garden. It's, it's one of the most powerful times in the life of Christ. It's when all the decisions are made, or whether he's going to the cross or not. We'll be taking communion, just a sidebar. Do not miss next Sunday morning. They missed their chance. The Pharisees missed it. And the choice you make is going to affect all eternity. Look, let's pick it up with verses 29 to 31 and finish out this chapter. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. And he said to them, if you do not listen to the Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, it doesn't take a rocket science to see exactly what he's talking about right there. First of all, he said, your brothers are without excuse. Why, is, why are all mankind without excuse? He gives two proofs right here that, that eliminates any excuses that we will be able to make before God. Number one is they have the word. We've got the word of God. We have the word of God. We have the law and the prophets. Listen, we know what Jesus Christ can do according to his word. We have his great and precious promises. We have everything that pertains to life and to godliness. And, and we've read the final chapter, and the final chapter says we win. We've got that. We've got that down, and the word of God is there, and we know how his story ends. This is an incredible book, and, and it can lead any man to Calvary, any man to the cross. These words are powerful. We've got the word of God, so we are without excuse. If you say, well, you know, Pastor, I really don't believe in all that stuff you're talking about. I don't believe in Jesus, and I don't believe in heaven, and I don't believe in hell, and I really believe that this is all there is. I want to challenge you. Don't wait for a sign or vision. Don't wait for somebody to come out of the grave to come and talk to you. You've got the word of God. I want to challenge you. Don't listen to the latest, greatest teaching that's out there today on the market or some weird thing you watch on television at 2 o'clock in the morning because you can't sleep. Don't watch any of that kind of stuff. Listen, get into this book. Read the word of God. If you will begin to read the word of God and study the word of God, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and life, and he can change you. He will revolutionize your life. He will radically change you. There is power in God's word. This word is good news, and the good news is this word will prepare you for your future. He says, your brothers had the law. They had the prophets. They all talked about this day. They all talked about my coming. They spoke about my coming, but you missed it. You missed their Messiah. But we have a second advantage that even they didn't have. We have the resurrected Christ. We do have somebody who has risen from the dead. We do have somebody who has come back and, and spent 40 more days on this earth. Uh, we do have someone who is ever interceding for us. Uh, we do have an empty tomb today. Uh, there's no body there because Christ is risen indeed. We have the resurrected Christ. He said, even if someone rose from the dead, in other words, the Jews are always looking for a sign, he says, you still would not believe. And true to his word, the Pharisees still refused to believe. In fact, they even paid people to lie about the resurrection. 
They knew the tomb was empty. They knew the body couldn't be found. And so they paid the guards to spread the rumor that the body had been stolen. They still refused to believe, even though someone came out of the dead. They all knew it. But they refused to believe. The Pharisees were looking for a greater confirmation than the law. The one greater was standing right there in front of them declaring these parables and these stories uh, and they missed it. The one greater provided something new, a new covenant, a new relationship with God, a new kingdom and it is the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. I can relate to him now in my life. He changes everything and I can relate to Jesus Christ for all eternity. Mm, mm. I'm afraid much of what we see in the American church today is what I call the rich man's syndrome. We are pulled inside the gate. So many come inside the church. We hide inside our four walls. I'm safe. Secure, I I come to church. We hide out here. We get in our little holy huddles and we hide out some more. We hide out. We come into the church very me-centered. What can this church do for me? What can this church do for my family? Pastor, feed me, feed me, feed me. And if it's not filet mignon every week, I'm going to another church down the road. And when you talk about commitment and you talk about sacrifice and you talk about service, that's not the place for me. I really wanted to feel better all the time. Listen, I want to tell you, this is not a feel-good message, and I'm sorry. It's the Word of God. I'm sorry. It's it's just not one of those touchy, feely, feel-good sermons. It's God's Word. And we've kind of got that rich man syndrome in church today. Have we lost sight of our purpose and our purpose church is to reach those outside the gates to minister to the poor to share the good news with our brothers our five brothers now while we're on this earth before it's too late Lazarus is sitting right beside the gates and he's hungry for the bread of life and we pass him by day after day heading in and out of our church as long as we're safe and secure and comfortable Inside the church, we are saying, in effect, the rest of the world can go to hell. You see, after death, the rich man is now concerned for his brothers. But it's too late. The chasm is already there. It's already fixed. Just too late. Nowhere to cross that bridge. John 9, 4 says it this way. We must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. Today, we still have time. Today's the day of God's grace. 
Today's the day of the incredible favor of our Lord. It's now, but we dare not waste our opportunities. We dare not miss these chances we have. It's time to get out of our gated community. Can you say amen? It's time to take the lowest seats at the table and say, Lord, how can I serve and how can I minister God? And I'll believe that promotion comes from you and you alone. It's time to be generous. It's time to store up treasure in heaven. Don't hoard your money here on the earth. It's not going to do you a bit of good. We worry. We worry. Don't worry about it. Give it away. Mm. Time to be generous. Time to invite the poor and the lame and the blind to the table of God's grace. There's still room at God's table. And when we fill that up, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. It is time to make a difference. Because what I do now affects eternity. We must make a radical shift. The church has got to make a radical shift. Shift from me-centered to other-centered. Leave the comfort and security of our church and go outside the gates and reach Lazarus. The second shift we've got to make is we've got to shift from focusing on the now to eternal thinking. This is important, guys. This is, this is the whole sermon in a nutshell, the whole parable in a nutshell. Two shifts. Shift from me-centered to other-centered. Shift from right now thinking to eternal thinking. Eternal mindset. It is about the future. It is about living a life of significance that will last forever. It is about the Great Commission. Listen, we, when you stand in front of God, you're not going to say, God, will you impress with my house? Will you impress with my car? Will you impress with my stuff? Well, God, how about... Wasn't it amazing? I watched 800 movies every night in front of my television set. Wasn't I just awesome, God? It's about eternity. It's about eternity. We live with regret. It's about the future. It's about your spending choices. It's about your time because I live with eternity in mind. I live with eternity in mind. I saw an illustration by Francis Chan, excellent teacher, preacher of the gospel. I want you to picture this rope with me if you would. This rope represents your life. Now I want you to picture this rope going on and on and on forever and ever and ever, okay? So right now it's just across this stage. It's the dock rope right here. This rope represents your life and it's just goes across the platform, a picture it going all around the world 30, 40, 50 times, 100 times, million times, on and on and on and on forever. This is your life now. This is, your, this is the black tape right here. This is the life now. And the ironic thing is, is we, we're right here, we're somewhere along in here, and, and all I'm talking about is saving for my future and laying up for my retirement, and I want to make sure I have enough when I get older that I can uh, take trips and travel around the world and do what I want to do and do this and that. And we focus all our energy on this short, short span of our life. The 60, 70, 80 years you're on the earth. And we don't think about any of this. 
forever, ever, and ever. What if we spent more of this time thinking about the judgment seat of Christ and bringing people into the kingdom of God and reaching around the world for missions and loving people like I've never loved before? What if we really, really did what God told us to do and live with eternity in mind? It would change the way we live our life today. Listen to me. Gates can't protect you. Wealth won't secure you. And religion can't save you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Mighty God, we need you today. Help us, I pray. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.